This podcast and the many that follow are proudly brought to you by our partner, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Now, as it relates to earning an edge, our friends at Titleist have been the leaders since the early 1900s. And in order to compete and win at the highest level, frankly, there's no room for second best. For this reason, the best players in the world trust Titleist. Welcome back to the Year in Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance, and we could not possibly be any more excited to share with you a conversation that we had last week with Tony Romo. And as you might guess, for a couple of guys that live in Dallas, this was a pretty big deal. Tony has fans the world over, but it would be difficult to match the reverence that we have for him here in Dallas. So needless to say, this is one that we had circled on our calendars. As coaches, we just get so fired up to hear how great athletes think, what are their processes and mindsets that underpin their great performances. And when Tony walked out of the room, we were just blown away. We were pinching ourselves and just so pumped that we could get the gold mine of knowledge that we had hoped would come out of this conversation. To my knowledge, there's nothing that Tony isn't good at. Golf, football, uh, now the best broadcaster in sports. I'm sure that, that there are deficiencies that exist. We just aren't aware of them. And for that reason, Cam and I felt really compelled to make the most out of this chat to really unpack what separates people like Tony. And al- although there are certainly plenty of physical gifts that he possesses, Tony's mindset and the way that he approaches anything that he's working towards is his edge earner. And as we hoped it would, it was made abundantly clear that, that Tony sees things a little differently and you can really see how his outlook is, is uncommon as he shares the importance that optimism has played throughout his career, the, the source of his confidence and the joy that is so infectious as we listened to him and watched him on Sundays, how he handled going undrafted, why he was able to thrive in that moment when so many others are unable to, and how he's prepped as the quarterback for the Cowboys and now in broadcasting. We cover that and much more in a little over an hour of conversation. And again, we walked out of the room and even though we had all the audio recorded, felt compelled to, to write down a few of the big ideas from the conversation for the same reason that so many people love hearing Tony call games. He has this enthusiasm and, and positive way of seeing things that, that left us inspired. We were on cloud nine as we finished up. It, it was all that we had hoped for. So if you are on a journey to high performance in sport, I guarantee that you'll probably want to listen to this multiple times. Left a big impression on us, so I'm hopeful you'll feel the same. Please enjoy episode 30 of the Earn Your Edge podcast with the great Tony Romo. Since we have many thousands of listeners that live around the world and may not follow the National Football League, I'll come at some of the notes of his career arc. He played college football at Eastern Illinois University, where he won, amongst other awards, the Walter Payton Award in 2002. Well, that's given to the top player at NCAA 1AA football. He signed as an undrafted free agent with the Dallas Cowboys in 2003. Beginning his career as a holder, Tony quickly became the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback during the 2006 season and served as the primary starter from 2006 all the way to 2015. He played 14 seasons with the Cowboys. He's a four-time Pro Bowl player and is the Dallas Cowboys career leader in passing yards and passing touchdowns. Retired after the 2016 season and became lead analyst on the CBS Sports NFL football team and spends Sundays in the booth with the greatest voice of all time, Jim Nance. Now, Tony, I guess the leadoff is the news that we got about 20 minutes ago that you're going to be playing against the pros again in a PGA Tour event. That's the AT&T Byron Nelson here at our home of Trinity Forest. And we're super excited to, to see you. So congrats on that. How excited are you? I'm very excited. I think, uh, you know, golf's obviously been a passion of mine for a long time and since really football ended, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, 
I'm not 18. We don't have quite the same number of years to build your game. So, you know, I've, I've put in quite a bit of time just trying to improve and get better and, you know, just see how good you can get at the game. So you'll find me pretty much on a range or a golf course. And we're interrupting practice time. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> they they this is very it. difficult for me right now because uh, there's a good move we're working on. Yeah, exactly. And to kind of be out of respect of your time, when we were putting this together, you know, our goal is to really unpack, well, what makes great athletes, great performers, great, and try to figure out, well, here are the edge earners, here are the separators. And typically that conversation takes the form of a more kind of biographical structure. Yeah. And because I don't think we have time to go through all of that, what we did was we kind of just pinpointed a few moments in your career that I think it would be interesting for us to chat about. And maybe we can pull on some threads that in the first moment that we want to, to highlight and maybe discuss is the moment where you're a youth athlete and you're playing a ton of different sports. You're playing golf, you're playing tennis, football, basketball. And I'm assuming assuming excelling in most of those is there a moment that you can pinpoint early on that you thought to yourself well i'm i'm a little bit different than all these other kids that i'm growing up with in in burlington wisconsin and something's different about me one was there a moment of realization and two what do you feel like distinguished you from all your peers at that time well uh, it's funny you say that because for me it was actually a little bit different than that mindset as i was younger there's never been a time where I was like, oh, I'm better than everybody. If, if it really, maybe at any point in my career, I've always felt like I've always had confidence, but the confidence just was like, okay, I'm here. I'm doing this. I see what the best player or who this person is. And then it's like, how do I attack that to beat that person? And how do I improve to get there? And so I don't think, you know, my really whole career regardless of where it's been at usually has always been steps it's never been oh you're the best player and now you're always the best player it wasn't like you know tiger woods at a young age and then all of a sudden he just dominates her i always went watched learned failed failed improved failed improved improved boom now the next step and then there's always this i call it like a 30 percent leap you know, you work, you work, you work, you don't really see a whole lot to get better. To the, and then all of a sudden, within two weeks, boom, you're 30% better. And you didn't really know it. So I feel like when I was young, it was like, improve, improve, improve. Oh, you won. Improve, improve. And I always had, and I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit, but in high school and even into college, I always knew there was other kids out there. So even if you won at your local high school or in your town growing up and stuff, Anything you did, it was just, I always knew there was some kid, some players that were better. And, you know, people talk about working hard and stuff like that. That just came naturally as far as like, well, how do you improve? You just got to go figure this out. So you got to go do it. And then you just start to get better. Where did that mastery mindset come from? That mindset that allowed you to continue to look 10, 100 miles down road and keep your eyes fixated on who you wanted to become, knowing that even though you weren't maybe competing against what you anticipated to be a better player or a better team, that you knew that they were out there. And if you weren't working hard, you weren't running the speed and quality of race that you wanted yourself to run. So where did that come from? Well, I think the the first part is uh, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So for me, the enjoyment comes from improving and uh, my mindset was nothing like i kind of got rid of i'm competitive i want to win 
but I really wasn't the kid who threw a chair through a wall when he lost. I was competitive and didn't like it with everything, but that really wasn't my mindset was winning. It was mostly like, like just how do I improve? And I felt like when I was young for me, you know, not that it's good or bad, I guess, but just, I always felt like if I'm in the environment or I see it, I can start the the process. And I looked ahead, like you said that 10 years. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, the winning and losing is just kind of what's happening while you're just improving. Mm-hmm. And so I get rid of the winning and losing aspect. And then when you're in the middle of winning, go win. But if you lose, it's okay. You just learned. Mm-hmm. If you're really willing to analyze it and think about it after the fact. And what I found is that most people don't really analyze it at the core. I mean, like, what were you thinking? What was your emotional level? Were you, uh, what, what did your body weight do? Like, what was like, what could have been a reason why on everything? And that showed up for you as a youth athlete? When that I was reflection? Young, a reflection on that when I was probably, high school was probably the first time I really started to like, you know, you study it and you study someone's jump shot and you're looking at the release and, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, why does mine look like that? And then you'd wear out VHS tapes just to like <laughs> see, and then you'd Scrub. try everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so like the next week it's like, well, are you really willing to try to improve when it matters with winning and losing? That's one of the hardest things. And this is jumping way too far. But when I was in the NFL, I was, uh, I'd gotten promoted to the backup quarterback. And I actually don't think I've said this before, but when I was real young in my, I think it was my second year. And when I was the backup, we go to practice, you go there all day. And, and then, you know, some throws and stuff. I, I just wasn't as good as I wanted to be. And I need to throw the football better. So I'd take 20 balls, go back up at night, go into the thing, turn on the lights inside the bubble and it'd be 11 o'clock and you throw into a net and just feel how it releases. And then you go home and then you'd throw into your couch, feel how it comes off your finger. And now the problem was you have this great new move. So it's like golf where you find this new thing and it's always the secret. And, and, uh, the big question was, you're being evaluated at practice every day. So Bill Parcells is my head coach. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to incorporate this. Now you're incorporating it in an 11-on-11 situation. Bullets are flying and everything, and you're trying to do it. Yeah, and I'm throwing it five yards over the guy's head. <laughs> I, mean, I could have. And it was terrible. But I was learning each throw. Okay, that technique, that part of it isn't going to hold up because as I was going, the ball was late. And I felt that. And... And then all of a sudden, I got demoted to third string just behind the scenes simply because I was practicing myself. So there wasn't winning and losing that day, but there was. But it was like there was this long-term goal about getting to where I want to be. And just to win the day wasn't worth sacrificing that long-term goal. And so that was a big decision I made probably in college from that perspective, that it was like, I'm always going to do the long-term goal until it affected others. Once you get into the game and now it affects all these other people, you got to go with what you got that day. Yeah. As a team and go win. But while you're in an individual and you're doing, you can sacrifice a lot of days. You're playing golf. Let's say if you're trying, you might shoot 74 or five and walk off upset. And then all of a sudden, but you are learning and you're trying and it's just this constant improvement that takes and then over the course of three years five years ten you wake up and you'll be much further along than other people i feel like so that that attitude towards development echoes a lot of what we hear with with the golfers that we talk to but i think that kind of 
underpinning that is a real optimism that if I stick to this development process, I know that it's going to turn out the way that I want to. I have this belief and, and you mentioned that you always had this confidence early on. And, and whenever we hear that, our ears perk up because we want to know where does that come from? And so I'm curious if, yeah. if kind of bring it back to early development, interactions with mom and dad, with parents, because I know that your dad was obviously a big part of that development process. I'm wondering if there are anything that's within the interactions with dad or even mom that led to some of that belief, that optimism that you it was going to happen for you. Yeah. I mean, my my mom and dad were there for everything. So it was like, I do think when parents are involved in it, it's like a coach or something. It's just better for not accountability per se. As you get older, that's a little bit more, but it's mostly like the love aspect that they want you to succeed is a, is more important than really anything. I think just them wanting, like having people root for you is important. And, and the joy that you can give them and yourself and everything. I mean, just, that's some of the, you know, enjoyment part of sports when you're doing that. But as far as like, um, where I got that confidence, I really think it's inherent in some of it. And you learn to be more confident with success sometimes, but I was always the kid. Like I knew other people were better, but I also knew I'd get there. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm working to beat them, but I know they're better, but that's okay. It's okay that they're better right now. Cause I don't have to, I want to be the best, but I don't have to at that moment. So I'll flip that on you a little bit and mm -hmm. how I ask the question, because another thing as coaches, whenever we hear, look, I was born this way, this is innate, you know, it's a little bit. Yeah, but you, but you're innate with certain gifts and then you have to go cultivate the others. Cultivate right. the others. So, so I, I was going to ask you a different, pose it a different way, because I would say that you would attribute a lot of your success to that confidence, competitiveness, being obsessive about how you were pursuing your and goals the work ethic. and the work ethic. Mm -hmm. So my question is now you've got three boys yeah. and you understand that those were huge pieces to why you were successful. So are there things that you do now as a parent that I know these are important. I know that these guys need to be competitive. And yeah. so what do you do to try to kind of nurture that in the boys? Well, the things they would tell you if they said, does dad care about winning and losing? <laughs> They'd be like, no, he cares about learning and getting better. Yeah. So I'm like, so did you learn anything? They, I'd say they did learn something in soccer after the game, or did you get better? You know, did you make that one kick a little better? Did you try? Yeah. Then you won. That's winning. That's, that's winning right there. Yes. And then as far as the mindset of that, it's a song by Kenny Rogers. I think it's called The Greatest. And my mindset in some ways is just, that song captures the essence. And in it, this kid goes out. He's a kid. He's got a ball and a bat. And the song's going on, and he's like, the ball goes up, the ball comes down, the kid's throwing it to himself. So he's just throwing, tossing the ball straight up in the air and trying to hit a home run. Ball goes up, ball comes down, kid swings the ball. That's strike one. <laughs> kid's like, it's okay. I am the greatest. Here we go. Second ball, he grabs it. Ball goes up, ball comes down. Boom. That's strike two. He's like, okay, here it is. That's okay. I'm the greatest. I hit up home runs on third strikes all the time, you know? Ball goes up, ball comes down, swings with all his might. That's strike three. Kid walks home, feeling dejected, supposedly, right? Walks in, his mom goes, son, how'd you do? He said, mom, I'm the greatest. And she goes, really? You hit a home run? He goes, no, I didn't know I could pitch like that. <laughs> So there's an optimism yeah. to your thinking, regardless of how it turned out. There's always an optimistic view. And that is the big question is, is that innate or can you develop that? Because I really believe that's the key in a lot of ways is where's the good in this? 
Now let's build that. Hey, we're bad, but we're going we're gonna to work on that. I think my dad's belief in me was probably pretty strong for that. Just the fact that he's like, like I just said, you're going to be fine. It'll all turn out for the yeah, better. It's yeah, just, it's just, you're going to be fine. And this is just, you're part of developing. If everything's just developing, you're going to be fine. Well, and that brings us to kind of the second moment that we wanted to cover, which is in all these conversations that we've had, anytime that you've got somebody pursuing big goals, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be adversity. And and so the often the separator that we found in these conversations is, well, how do you deal with those? How do you respond to those challenges? I think that's a little bit of what you're, you're speaking to. Can you bring us back to draft day 2003? and your name doesn't get called. And I'm sure that there was a way that looking back that you reacted to it that made this story have a different ending than it might have had for some in that situation. Yeah, it goes back to like the, uh, you know, I'll show them how good I am, you know, kind so of thing. So chip on your shoulder. Well, but the chip on the shoulder isn't really a real thing because no one really provides that for you. Like someone doing something to me doesn't actually affect me as far as like, now I'm mad. I'm going to try harder. It's like, there's no trying harder. It's just, that's what you do. So it's like, I always felt like as long as you're sleeping at night, knowing you've given everything you have that old saying, but it's really like, did you actually commit your hours that you could have? Did you go put it? Well, what else were you supposed to do? So it's like, if you fail, it's completely okay. Cause you're failing in the process of getting better. It's, it's not really it, like, I, I just can't, say it enough where the what bogs people down are two things i feel like the winning and losing is everything especially once you get to a certain level and then expectations the expectations that people the better you get the more they come when you're young you don't really have them you're just you are that mindset's almost there when you're young you're upset about a shot or something but you're not worried about how you're going to pay the bills or if your life's going to be the way you want it to be necessarily at a young age as you get older now you have responsibility, da, 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 da. and then as you get good, expectations come into play. And when that happens, that's when the internal battle really starts to take place about, do you really believe these things? Is it really about this or is it about other things? And what I found is the really, really great ones enjoy the process. They enjoy doing it more than the, the act of like what comes from winning. It's the fact that I get to play. And then I get to improve. And that part of it, if your joy comes from that, I just think you're always fine. And you're, during the tough moments, they're going to happen. I don't care who you are. But they're never that bad because, like I said, I'm a great pitcher today. <laughs> yeah. Your mindset's going that direction. So how frequently would you remind yourself when there is far more noise from the outside than there is signal coming in that affirms that you have what it takes to excel and succeed to the level you expect of yourself when there's more noise coming from the outside how often would you with that voice in your head start to echo the sentiment you just described well you better you better have this foundation because the noise from the outside is it's strong it's real it's there especially once you get better and better and when that happens you almost have to fight that these people just don't know and so you want to you want to put this foundation in something that can't be removed. So like in life, it's God for me. You know, religion, it's believing in Jesus. And that's like, you can't take that from me, right? In sports, you can do the same thing where it's like people can't take something. And I always just feel like I have something like uh, it would be like a, 
you want to say work ethic, you want to say improvement, but I'm like, if I threw an interception or something the next day, I worked so hard at this throw that I made that was poor in the game. And I'd be like, I got it. That'll never happen again. And then that mindset right there just switched. So everything everyone is saying felt like that's outdated. That's yesterday. That was, I may have been that guy, but I'm not that guy anymore. But some of that comes from, it's not even success. It's just building that in with yourself and being like, okay, I went to practice to get rid of that guy. And then when I move on, you're, you're not that. Let them talk about it. It doesn't, it can't really affect you because it's not really who you are. But if you let it, then it's all about, well, then I've got to do this or I've got to do this for other people. And that's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving to moment three, the welcome to the league moment, your rookie year. That Was there a moment that stood out where you had the realization that the NFL was not Eastern Illinois and the guys are bigger, faster, stronger, et cetera? Maybe an oh shit moment where you, you realized you had to get better and take us through the steps that you took as best you can to get better. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny you say that because everyone tells you before you get there about how fast the game is and how, you know, just different it is. And so you go in like almost, I don't say scared, but you go in with that like, okay, like you're going to, instead of jumping in the water, you're sticking your toe in to see how cold it is <laughs> instead of being like, let's go, let's get in. And, um, when I got there, this is one of those key moments for me was I went out in the field and we had our first like 11 on 11. And I remember dropping back to pass and I threw a pass and I threw it in the dirt, like not even close to the guy. And then there's like four of them in the dirt out of like my <laughs> six throws. But the funny part is I went back afterward. I was like, I saw it. Like it I was like, that wasn't that fast. In other words, my brain worked so quick or my vision or whatever it was that, you know, in some ways was just a God-given gift, but the ability to see things made the game feel like that. That was a confidence builder. All of a sudden it was like, well, I can do this. Now the coaches are like, what the heck? <laughs> but it goes back to that story I told you, but I'm sitting there going, I'll figure out how to throw the football. Yeah. It's like, I, I, and what I learned real fast was like, I've got to go figure out how to throw a football better. Like I'm not a good thrower compared to these other guys, but you know what? That same rep, those other two quarterbacks just took, they never got to get that guy that fast. I threw it half a second before they could know he was open. And so I was like, okay, the fact that I can do that gave me the confidence to know that I can, I can play this game. And then it was about building my craft and improving. Yeah. So building the craft part, I mean, early on, you've got Sean Payton, you've got Bill Parcells, well, one, what was the role of those coaches in there? But I think what kind of selfishly I'm more, I'm more interested in because you, you still to this day are seeing great coaches, whether it be Bill Belichick or you're calling Sean McVay or whatever. What do you feel like is separating those coaches at that level? What did you feel like made the biggest influence on as you're trying to develop in those early years, 2003, 2006? What made the difference with those coaches? I mean, there's 50 things in some ways. I mean, one is hard to describe, but one thing that stands out with the coaches and really elite players is your ability to analyze what makes the difference to winning and losing and your ability to start the process of figuring out what is that difference and then implementing the practice schedule to almost go attack that. So I feel like a lot of coaches, they have a system they learned and they go do it and that's fine. The problem is Bill Belichick's going to run into you and he knows your system. <laughs> and when he does, your system isn't as sound as it was the week before. 
And so what I find is that your ability to, you know, analyze yourself, analyze what makes the difference, like what really are the major components? Let's say golf for a second. What are the major components between the five or 10 best players? You know, you, yeah, it's like everyone's trying to get to that level where it's like, okay, well then whatever, if there's 500, okay, well then we got to make, but if there's four core things or six or two, let's put a lot of effort into that and get these things to be really, and then we'll start to adapt from there. And I feel like just not enough, you know, coaches or people really just uh, understand how to analyze what those things are. If you can get there, you know, then you can go to work. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. Going back to the craft, circling back there, who did that for you? Who helped guide that process in the early years when you admittedly recognize, I'm not quite ready. Eastern Illinois, yes, NFL, I need to get better at this capacity. See, the funny thing was that Eastern, I always knew because you it's almost like going on the range and watching a guy hit a ball. You're like, whoa, I couldn't do that. And as you get better and older, and uh, then you're like, okay, that seems normal, right? Yep. But when you first see it, you know, I mean, if you're being honest with yourself, you're like, that would be hard that. for me. I can remember just watching a practice when I was in college of an NFL team and watching these perfect spirals being thrown, like comebacks left and right. And I'm like, I'm in like my junior year and I'm like, I got no chance. Like a, <laughs> I'm glad I got two years before this has a chance. And uh, I think when I first got in the NFL, it was David Lee. So David Lee was a like our assistant quarterback coach. So most of the coaches you're teaching football, you know, as far as like, where it's different than, than golf would be, you're teaching scheme, you're teaching how to learn your offense, you're teaching you know, all these other things. But they don't really, because no other player has a, a uh, throwing technique, right? Well, how many guys throw it good enough to really be able to teach, or how many guys have studied it well? It's really hard. You know, there's no like uh, track man, there's no plane, you know, there's no arc. There is. But they don't know it. They haven't defined it. Yeah. yeah. It's not systematized. And so what I went into is like, all right, let's, let's find, once again, these laws mm-hmm. that I want to live under. What's my blueprint? And then we'll try and wear those things out while trying to get this. And David Lee was there for that beginning and would do that. And that's one of those things where it's like, if you get a guy or a coach or someone like that, that's the development you'll make within the framework of the whole team. And then when you improve... The team improves. Yeah. A nice jump from there is talking about superpowers. And we talk about it as it relates to the best players in the world that we get to spend some time with and some time around learning what capacities, both the things you can see and also the things that you can't see that are differentiators. But when you're talking about world-class, high-performing quarterbacks, what are those superpowers, both tangible and intangible? We can and we can't see. The number one thing that separates some of us is their ability to process information quickly. And so their improvement levels will happen faster simply because do they see it better? Yes. Do they get through progression faster? Absolutely. But when they make a mistake, they're able to process that because in some ways it's their brain just works quicker. And, you know, when they lose it, they get it back faster. And 
And then there's work ethic. I mean, but almost every quarterback who's in the National Football League, I mean, there's 32 starting guys. You almost can't be starting for an NFL franchise at that level if you're not a really, really hard worker. It just, it would be very difficult for you to make it and stay there. Can we pause there real quick and just give the listeners a perspective on what hard work looks like in terms of time, in terms of elements of that hard work for a, one of the 32 starting quarterbacks? So there's there's levels to it. There's Let's put Tom Brady at the top level. Yep. Because he'd probably be right at the top of like hardest working him, Peyton Manning. And then you'll have other guys. The work that they would put in, it's hard to describe, but it would be almost constant. And what I mean is it's not a time you put on it. It's like, uh, let's say with golf this last year, it's there in your brain, even when you're not working. It's, it's just another level. It's like uh, the outliers book by Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours to perfect your craft. The guys who work the hardest, they don't just work a little bit harder than everybody else. They work so much harder than everybody else that you wouldn't possibly be able to do it. Almost. It has to be something you love at your core to be able to put in that kind of time. In other words, you got to have joy in it. If it's like me hitting golf balls or throwing the football all those years, it wasn't necessarily just work. It was, it was a joyful obsession, I call it. I got joy doing it. And then you go play and da-da-da. But there was great joy, and that's why it was like constant all day. It was like, and then your brain's thinking about it, and you're eating and you're talking, but you're like, can't wait to like go do it. And that, that's probably the biggest separator from people who work really hard. And the other stuff is you wake up, you go to meetings, you work out, you do all the normal things that you know a player should do if they want to be good. You want to protect your body. You want to make sure you can handle, you know, at our level it'd be hits and stuff, but like for golfers, it's their back, you know, this thing, they should be doing things, activation, all this normal stuff that seems normal. But if you don't have a routine, the routine is everything. Like you got to have a routine. You got to do it. Stick with it. Cause I can promise you the best players who are going to last for a long period of time, have a routine and they're doing it and they're doing it a lot mm-hmm. and, and they're thinking about it a lot. Yeah. It's funny you say what you said before. We recently were exposed to some new knowledge about research that confirms exactly what you just described. It's called the Zagarnik effect, where the best at anything will continue to work on problems well beyond the actual physical activity, even well beyond waking hours. They're working on problems during sleep. And there's all kinds of um, scientific or the, the equipment that they may use to test how a, how a person's working and what they're working on, even while they're asleep. Wow. It's fascinating that that's, that's that your experience. Up. Yeah, it's a Garnick effect. It's 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 a hundred percent true. I mm-hmm. mean, even when you're done and you're like in bed and my wife falls asleep, it's going to be a YouTube of a swing, and then I'm going <laughs> to and then I'm going to get up out of bed and put mine next to it on the iPhone and pause and right. slow. And then you're, you're radically get obsessive, whether it's football or now it's uh, yeah, it's, it's in the golf. When you it. get when you get a joyful obsession, yeah, you know. I think it's a gift that you get to be able to have something that you like that much. I think we'll get into the analysis piece when we talk about your (laughs) Romo Stradamus, which we'll touch on here a little bit. But before we get there, that analysis, that ability to receive information in a very, very short time windows and and react really quickly. Do you remember that all the way back to you, Swat? I don't know whether we really pulled on that thread enough. Well, I do remember... um, it was almost like I was always quick, mm-hmm. but never fast. Mm. And when I see that, that shows me that someone's brain just works quick. So you can see that every once in a while in a football player. Let's say Brett Favre. You know, you could see him like 
it's like he had extra vision or something, right? Where he could feel someone and slide and move and everything. And it's not like he, someone behind him, it's not like he just felt him. You do, you naturally just feel things, but there's a vision side that he, he saw an angle in one step by the D end that moved up and his body weight was coming back while his tackle was sliding out wide. So he felt like that guy in that little imperceptible thing in his brain while he's looking now to the right, he knows there's an internal clock there because he felt that for that 10th of a second. And so he almost, he knew there was this time frame with it. And that's when you describe it, that's kind of the best. Did, did you have that in other sports as well? Like basketball, do you feel that spatial awareness in that? Yeah. Like, it's spatial awareness, your yeah. ability to just like, you just saw angles a little bit faster. And even though, you know, I had a nice little high school career, I wasn't very good, but I could do that stuff. And that made me a good high school basketball player because I just, it was like I was quick, but I wasn't. It was just that I, you could see things a little bit. What, what about in golf where obviously we don't have to be quick yeah. uh, in, in that sense. Right. But you Other have to swing speed. But you've got to be able to adapt. You've got all these different, you've got this very dynamic environment. You could be in a grandstand or in a cart path and pebble, and you've got to adapt really, really quickly to that. Do you see that your ability to translate that into golf as well? Well, a lot of it's like people who don't play, I think don't, there's so many variables sometimes, not every single shot, but there are plenty of shots within a round that like, you got to assess the rough and then the wind and then the pin position and then the firmness of the greens for the shot to come in. And then it's like the landing area. And then like, okay. And then you got to process your history with a, this shot B with this lie with how you're swinging. Can you pull the shot? Well, what's the percentage of that? And then it's like, okay. And then play to intensity. And then how does I make the best score? Where am I at in the tournament? You know I mean? There's it's, that's all. And you're trying to do that in seconds. Right. And we call that like clue collection. And if we ask a really, really good player, can you walk me through your clue collection? It's almost difficult for them to articulate because it happens so instantly and they're processing this information at like a, and so you behind center, you step behind center. What does the clue collection process look like? Could you say, here's my process or my, my decision tree? I can now, but this is, this is why reps matter. Because some of that just becomes a natural thing. That's why it's hard for them to describe because they've taught themselves over a number of years that this is, this part of this is normal. But then there's other parts that are always evolving and changing. And so those are the ones you got to, you try and, you try and practice so much, put yourself in so many situations. So you have something to draw upon. It's not just, here's my swing and this is what I'm working on. I mean, at some point it's got to be about what's the, gives me the best chance to make the best shot for this situation. And I mean, golf, there's really not enough time in a day. I mean, you know, I was out here all day yesterday and it was like, okay, I was hitting the ball good. And then you might go home, right? Well, the next step then is let's go put myself into the opposite wind direction. Now let's go put myself into a side hill. lie below my feet. Now put it above. Now let's go uphill. Let's go down. And we're not even talking about out of the bunker or the rough, (laughs) you know, like I couldn't even get to that point. It was the, all of a sudden the sun was going down and you're like, okay, well, that's, I mean, that's why it's like, it's almost just, complete day. It's like, geez, you couldn't even get, couldn't even get a full thing in. So let's move on to our next moment here. And that's kind of Romomania 2006, 2007. This is what speaking worked, of the two validated homosexuals, by the way, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you've, you've worked hard to get to this point and now you're the starting quarterback for one of the most storied franchises in all of sports. Right. So I'm just curious of, what kind of nerves you experienced and then 
when all eyes are on you, like what were the pressure coping strategies that you would kind of fall back on to then, because you know, that you were known for this cool, calm composure in the pocket, scrambling around, making it work. Yeah. What, what did you fall back on? What are the strategies that someone that's listening and say, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do that so I can perform similarly in that situation. I, I think a little bit of it is just the outside noise is a, is a real thing that you, when that part of the time comes on, you're young. It's really the best time. There's two times I feel like it's an archetype that takes place for a player's career. In the beginning, you've given everybody hope and you're going to be the greatest of all time. <laughs> and this is never going to be yeah. poor. And so you start off and all of a sudden it's, it's like a first pick of the draft or something. It's like the hope, hope. for the city. Yeah. Optimism. The, yeah. It's just, it's so palpable that like you, you never want this time to end because you're great. And you are, you've done nothing wrong and there's what, there's no expectations yet. They don't even know if you're good or not, but they, you're just good. There's no negative. We're, yet. Ex we're experiencing that in Dallas right now. We've yeah. got, a, we've got Luca down the street there that he can do no wrong. It's exactly. And then like every athlete, they'll hit rough patches and go, but it's just, there's great. It's, it's one of the greatest times in your life is when that beginning process happens. And I feel like it's not just good for you. It's great for your parents, your family, everyone involved is around because it's just like your life is changing overnight. And then it's joy, 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 great times, great time. And then all of a sudden adversity hits, something happens. And then this thing happens where then they nitpick the negatives and then you start hearing that because they've already done all the superlatives, the positives and everything. And so now it's like, if you don't perform at that level constantly, how many times have they said Tom Brady's like, he's the best who's ever walked. And we keep talking about him because of that. How many times have they said he's done? Tiger Woods, done. You know, this just keeps happening, right? Like, the, oh, he can't come back. He can't, like, it's so silly because they think it's like, there has to be this like black or white version of it. And what happens though, is you go young and it's unbelievable. Blah, blah, and then people almost root against you or root for you to fail a little bit or, or ready to jump off ship quickly. And then this thing happens over time. You become this grizzled veteran that you don't care really what people say. And you're able to just wash it off the good or the bad. It's just like you have a turtle shell now that just allows you to just be like, oh, that was a nice article. Thank you. And move about your day and don't think about it. Oh, that wasn't a very nice article. Thank you. And you kind of <laughs> just move. It just doesn't matter to you anymore because you just know how this plays out at that point. And then you get to the end of your career arc and now you become the guy they root for again because you've gone through and it's almost like they saw you go through it all. And now you're like, the young guy was awesome. It was the greatest thing ever. Da, da, da. And then in the middle, it's like, we're nitpicking. We don't, you see, he can't do it ever again. He's lost it all. Da, da, da. And then at the end, they're like, we're rooting for him again. He lost it. Now we want him to. We want him to be back. I mean, and now all of a sudden you're like the the guy that can do no wrong again. So you get both of these. The hardest part is dealing in that middle section for the players because it's like I thought I was good. People liked me. What? Why don't they like you anymore? But that's what builds that tough foundation that you need to have that makes it sustainable for so long. And the guys who get through it, you get you reap the benefits and the joy for years after that if you just fight through it and come out of it with a turtle shell. Is there any advice that you would give to the 2006 version Tony Romo to help you either accelerate through that middle period, that difficult period? Hmm, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that one. Um, what advice would I give him? 
right? Because that's that's those are the most challenging times. The challenging times where the questions from the outside maybe accelerate or embolden the questions on the inside. And and I'll let you do justice to the quote. It's a quote that caused the hairs on the back of my neck to stand up. In your press conference, you closed it with those two battles. Yeah. Can you speak to those two battles? Yeah. The, you know, we all have the one. And what I was saying basically was we have a battle with the guy across from us who we're competing against. And that's the one that you're evaluated on by the public. And then the real battle that I found is you get through it all is it's with yourself. And that's the one you want to win. So I think that you hit it on the head. If I could go back to, those six and seven, I'd be like, this isn't about anything other than me just becoming the person, the player I want to be and just enjoy that aspect of it. Because that's, you know, when you, when you accomplish that, then you're winning and you're winning in life. It's not just on the field, but you're able to just, you don't have these crazy swings of emotion. You're just, you're enjoying it and you're enjoying the process. And you, and I think that's, that's the key is just getting winning, winning yourself and, and being that guy that you want to be. Well, how do you do it? Well, write it down, write down your goal, write down what it takes to get there and then go do it and, and hold yourself to that standard. Personal mission statement ethos. Yeah. And you can legitimately though, like check on yourself and it's like, you don't have to tell the world or tell anybody, but you just, you know, it's, it's not just sports. I mean, it's a dad. It's like, you want to, you know, you want to live life backwards. I feel like mm-hmm. you want to be 80 and look back. Yeah. And say, gosh, if I was 38 again and had three kids, you don't want to wake up and be like, gosh, I wish I was a better dad. You know, let's, let's, let's look back and be, what are you going to really think is important when you're dying? Yeah. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> so I absolutely love it. At the front end of this, it was actually before we hit record or maybe it was, yeah. Anyway, before we hit record. A good thing we're recording. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We, we got lost on. so much thank good you. stuff. <laughs> the slow Corey swing speed with me on there. I mean, we did a lot of that. <laughs> I mentioned that this is a big moment sitting across the table from someone exceptional like you. And we've been nervous to do this. We've prepared a lot. Clearly, big games, big moments you excelled in. How did you deal with those nerves? What strategies can you help the listener maybe understand and employ to help them deal with those nervous times when they're hitting the next shot, the big shot, or the next event they're playing in, whatever sport they're playing? It's all about improvement. It's You want to get rid of like... The idea is you, you want to walk in with a mindset of uh, the movie The Hustler. So I try and like make an analogy here, but it's with old Paul Newman. Are you going to sing again? I no, like there's no more singers. I hope I wasn't singing during that. So we might have to just scratch that part of this. Um, but in that movie, like he walks in and he's going against the best pool player in the world, Minnesota Fats. It was Jackie Gleason, I believe. And he's walking in and he's so full of confidence. Because he just knows, he's like, I am the greatest, right? You know, he's like, he's feeling that and everything. And he gets wore down and he loses. And then he comes back and beats him at the end of the movie. But the confidence of walking in and being like, for me, once I got to a level I was really proud of as far as a player, it was like, I got you guys. Like, you're going to walk in with like, you can ride me today. I got you. Some moxie, some... Yeah, it's yeah. Like, like, you do have to have this utter in inside belief that this is what you are supposed to be here for. You're the guy who's supposed to go in here and beat Tiger Woods. That's who I am. That's who you are. That, and if you don't have that thought, you're already walking in at a huge disadvantage instead of being like how good it's not about those other guys. It's about you. 
And so you just kind of like, they're just kind of in my way. So that mindset allows you to get rid of the big moment because the big moment's like what you're supposed to be in, not this is a big moment. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> I've been working hard to get. This is why right? I'm like, this is what we're doing it for. Well, and it's like, yeah, it's like, so you get this utter belief in yourself. That's just can't be shaken per se. And you might win, you might lose, but you're going to walk out of there or you're going to walk in there and you're going to be like, like you walk in there, like you are Tiger Woods and they, they don't know it yet. Right. No one knows it, but you do. And, and, and watch today. It's going to be fun. Did you have a process, like a quiet moment in the locker room? Because we talk a lot with our players about priming. Mm -hmm. So before we go to the first tee, if you realize that there is a state that you either you're physically or you're mentally that you're in, that you perform at your highest level, let's get into character. Let's prime ourselves to be there. Was there anything that you would do before those big moments, those big games, or even a big, a big drive would be a better yeah, example. Exactly. Yeah. So, Fourth quarter, big drive. Yeah. How do you prime yourself for that? So we had a drive and it was in uh 2014 against the lions. And it was a very, it was in the, the playoffs and they were first or second ranked defense. And it was a tough battle and just a hard fought game and we're coming down and we're trailing and you know, I've got this career and you're trying to win playoff games. You know, I mean, it doesn't get any more for me at that point in my career. It was the biggest moment that I'd had in a long time. And I remember before that drive, knowing the importance of this on my legacy or the importance of you win or lose or da, 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 da. And I flashed back to 2007 and we were in the playoffs against the giants. And I had a similar drive at the end of that game. And I cringe as I got older in the NFL when I watched that game because I just didn't know enough about football on how to attack certain things in my second year of playing then. And I remember being like, boy, I would love to have known what I know now back then. I, I thought that through my career, right? And then all of a sudden I'm walking out there for that drive and I'm like, okay, this is the moment. And then I'm like, that calmness and everything comes over you because all of a sudden I'm like, I'm glad I know what I know now. And I'm like, this one's going to end a little differently. And so it kind of makes you calm and that belief that we just talked about. You know, the other part is to really, and I talked earlier about analyzing what the difference is. There was an analyzing of myself that needed, that took place over my career where it was like, what's my tendency in these situations? What's my tendency? What does my internal clock do? What does my blood pressure do? What does this happen? And what you do is when you actually analyze yourself, you can always know that's going to happen and then get comfortable with it. And then also you can play against it a little bit. In other words, when my brain says this, don't fall for it. <laughs> when my brain or my blood pressure does this, don't fall. This is my tendency. Okay. Well, then you can go practice that or, or guard against it and then go figure out what is guarding against it. So for me, what it was... and halfway or so through my career I used to at the end of games early on I would try and help all my teammates you can't take a sack that ends the game you can't you've got to get 20 yards or you got to you tried to do all these things that were a little more special in these moments and then as I got older and we started to do really well you know toward the end of my career we won all these games late and you felt good about going out there and doing it pretty consistently it was simply because I went out there and knew my tendency was to never take a sack. Well, that would, over 20 plays or 14 or 7 or 9, one of those, you're going to be making sure you don't take a sack and you're going to throw the ball a little earlier than you normally should have. I went out there saying, take a sack. Take a sack. 
don't give them the ball, take a sack. And invariably what happened is I'd produce results by almost saying to myself, like, it'd be like walking to the first tee and instead of saying, don't hook it, what I'm saying is I'd walk out there and be like, hook it. A mis mistake avoidance is a bad place to play from, isn't it? A hundred percent. So then you're going to go up there and be like, this, my tendency here is to, to hook this well. All right, I'm going to hook it. On purpose. On purpose. And just you all of a sudden just freed up that one thing that you're guarding against. You're completely free of that. Try and do it. You'll be shocked at how you won't. And you'll just play normal. Highlight reel. You've got a litany of career highlights. And if I had the number of highlights you have, I'd probably have them on loop as soon as I walked into the house, <laughs> just for that like ongoing inspiration. Like, yep, I did that. My one son asked me, like, Dad, we show da, da, da. My mom's like, no. <laughs> Come on. And I'm like, but he likes it, babe. I mean, I he likes it. Let's just show him. I love him. Two or three. Can you give us one or two? One of my favorites was probably a little bit nondescript from everyone's memory, but it would be. 2013, we're up in Washington against the uh, Redskins now. I'm going to have back surgery the next day. And so you got this pain down your leg. I mean, just singeing and just, you know, the nerves getting touched and everything. And so I have like a ruptured disc. And so it's, it's uncomfortable, let's say that, <laughs> to play a game of football. When I look back, I'm like, that's just silly and yeah, stupid. Should, just really like, never yeah. done that. <laughs> I kind of cannot relate here. But we're, we're, if we lose the game, we're out of the playoffs. And I'd never played in a game that we were eliminated from the playoffs. I mean, it was like we won or lost the last game and we were eliminated, but I never had, okay, we're playing this one for fun. And uh, unless you had a buy or something that from the playoffs, but I'd never played in a game that you were mathematically eliminated. So that game, you know, I was proud of that, let's say. Well, that game was, if we lost, we're eliminated. We still had one more game the next week. So it felt like a playoff game. You got to win your last two games to get in the playoffs. I played that game. And it's painful. And then uh, one drive, end of the game, same situation I told you mentally. We go down, throw the ball, boom, boom, make some plays. We get to the one-yard line. There's a minute and a half. We run the ball. No game. So there's a timeout or something. I go tell the coaches, I'm like, just throw it on second down. They have to sell out. Like, this is going to be a cakewalk. Play action, got a goal line, just throw it to the fullback in the flat. It's like a cakewalk touchdown. And I'm like, if if not, if you want to, this is what I would do. Run it on second, or I'm sorry, throw it on second, run it on third, throw it on fourth. That way you get, I want two chances at this. I, you know, you don't want to just all of a sudden be, well. Run it in the line. Yeah. And so second down, ran the ball, no gain. And now I'm a little upset because I'm like, got to be kidding me. Because now third down gets tougher a little bit because now it's like, okay, are they going to pass? On second, they knew we were running it because that's, the, the smart play, per se. Third down comes. We run it again. And the running back, I think it's DeMarco, runs right, runs left, ends up going back, loses 10 yards. So now it's fourth and 11. And I've already done all this work. I've <laughs> done, <laughs> thing, done everything I could. I'm like, yeah. one yard <laughs> in the easiest spot. Now there's a, you know, a minute or something to go in the game. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, they're like, okay. Now we go to the side and they're like, what do you like? I'm like, I liked throwing it from the one yard line when they thought we were running. But you didn't listen to me. And they're like, well, I'm like, I got it. Just put 11 personnel out there. <laughs> and so we walk out. And so I called, you know, two plays. And then I told DeMarco, you know, he's got a route, but it's not going to get 11 yards. So I said, when you run this, just get depth. You know, it's like a flat route to the side. He's going to go up about five yards, but I want him to get more toward like seven to eight. And so I'm going to, 
you see the coverage they're in and stuff, and they're obviously back in the end zone. And I kind of slide up in the pocket, and I look at the back like I'm going to throw the ball in the back of the end zone, but they're all there. And then I throw it to DeMarco out to the side, and he catches it at like the three, and he turns in and he scores. And I was proud of that because you fought through pain, you fought through adversity, and then you had it won, and then it was lost because you're not scoring fourth and 11 very often. And then you won again. So the exhilaration of the whole thing was just important. And then I, I had back surgery the next day. So I was, I was proud of that moment. It's a good segue into our last moment, which is now you're in the booth. So just a few months after finishing your career, you're in like the most coveted spot in broadcasting, sitting next to Jim Nance in the booth. You hear a lot of people say, Tony's got the sixth sense. He's clairvoyant. He knows what's coming. Andy <laughs> Reid is like, I, I wish he was our defensive coordinator. We, we could have stopped him, right? But I, I think that, and I think that that's true. And I want you to speak to that a little bit of how you've been able to do that. But I think it probably, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, does a disservice to the amount of preparation and the amount of work that goes in each week. And so I, I just wanted you to, I, I guess, paint a picture a little bit of what that week looks like as you're leading up to, say, the Super Bowl. And then how much of it is prep and how much of it is you're just seeing some things that other people can't see because they don't have the experiences that you have. It's a tough one to answer because broadcasting is a little different than, you know, football or golf and the fact of winning and losing, right? You don't really know. Well, people on Twitter will tell you if you know us for sure, right? <laughs> that's true, actually. But you try and get away from that world as far as like that's how you're defined. But uh, I feel like in, in, you know, leading up to the week, basically – you start on Monday or Tuesday talking to your own team about what packages, right? There's stuff you want to show. And then they're putting together a bunch of stuff that you do. And then as the week gets later, it's probably Thursday, you'll fly into the, the other place. And by that point, I've watched tape, you know, the teams. And then you'll go to... How, how many hours of tape? It depends on the week. It really does because some people I know very well. And then you're just going to get caught up on their last... You, you know, know them well because games. you've called other games or because you've been on the field against them and, and there's that recency there? Well, I would say initially it's just the recency, but, but part of it's also, you know, you've done a game or two, but, and I've already done all the studying. So now two weeks later, it's like I got the Patriots three <laughs> weeks in a row. You know, I just did their last game and I studied for that one. So now you have them, but their opponent or something. I mean, I just love the game and love, you know, figuring it out. So there's levels of that where it's like you got to learn your offense and you got to work on your craft which is what I did when I was young. As you get older, I want to know about the, the defense. And then I want to know what their rules are. And then deeper than that, as you get much older, I want to know that defensive coordinator's tendencies. In other words, under the gun, who is this guy? And what's he going to call? Because these games come down to the end. So it's like you're constantly trying to figure out situations. Like people are still, still reading people a little bit. It's like this guy, he's going to blitz, you know? Rex Ryan, Buddy Ryan, they're blitzing. You know, someone else, they're like, I'm going to protect. That's just in their nature of who they are. You know, I want to make sure my guys know their job and their technique in a big moment. Someone else is going to roll the dice. Not to say one's right or wrong. You just want to know who they are. And so then you start to dive into that. And a lot of that is why as an announcer, it's like, I want to know all that stuff. And now you got to go learn it again. Like coming from the NFL didn't, doesn't help. Uh, I mean, it helps tremendously for the background, but really it's just the years of studying and wanting to know systems and people. And then, you know, one area that 
you know, is just mannerisms, mannerisms of players on the field pre-snap, you know, that you guys wouldn't be able to tell, but someone who's there, like you can see, you know, like you just, you got students, you can tell sometimes their mannerism, if he's a little uncomfortable or if he's comfortable or if he's something, you know, this certain situation makes him uncomfortable or this lie or this, this wind direction with this pin on this side with water here. You're like, okay, this one's a big moment. This one's going to be tougher, but no one else would know that. And, uh, that's kind of the level I think that you want to get to, to know and, you know, come up with stuff, I guess. So that's why I study. That brings me to that, or that makes me think there was a, a study that we kind of talked about in a presentation that we had recently about the fact that just perception, what experts perceive versus what novices perceive, meaning that there's, well, a novice is going to see like a hundred things where the expert is going to find those two, three, four things that are actually relevant to what's to come. So is there a top list? And we're talking football. We're going to dork out on football for a second, but is there a top one or two, three things that you feel like are, are the most relevant that you're paying attention to when you're in the booth? The moments before you've been most successful and all right, this is what they're going to do. I'm going to call this before it happens. You're talking about before the snap? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the number one thing is there's a whole, just like as a golfer, you walk up and you're getting ready for a shot, you go through a checklist, right? A quarterback will do the same thing on the field. So when you walk out, I'm not going to bore you with the 15 things you think yeah, about. Initially. I'm, I'm, it wouldn't bore me. I'm, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm interested. <laughs> but from a booth perspective, this to me all starts with a protection league. In other words, it all starts up front. As a quarterback, you got to protect yourself. The number one thing is that. So young guys, they just run plays. So it's like, this is the protection and you run it. You know, an older quarterback, he doesn't like how this looks. I'm going to protect myself with an extra guy or a play change or something going there. And so that's the number one thing you think, boom, right away instantly. Now you do all the stuff before that situation, history of like blah, 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 like the stuff I told you a little bit about before you ever do it. And then you run through your play in your head and, and then what they've been doing that day and how their coverages are looking different. Blah, blah, blah. But the number one thing from the booth is protection. Boom. What's possible. What's not possible. So there's two safeties up there, 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. We don't account for them, right? For possibly rushing. But if anyone's inside of five, six yards, they all can rush. Anybody could come at any moment. So your job then is to kind of come up and figure out who, you know, there's four D linemen. Well, there's five offensive linemen. So when you guys hear a quarterback come up and say, 56 is Mike, the middle linebacker, you know what he's saying? Hey, offensive linemen, you have those four D linemen and 56. So if he comes, that's the fifth guy. You five for those five. (laughs) So you set the the protection. So you have to know that because there's rules involved with as soon as that changes, no, no, no. Easy, easy. Someone might say, Mike is 55. Well, why did he go to the other guy? Well, because he thought that guy's blitzing. So he'd rather have that guy get picked up than this guy, right? So I'm going to move it over here to that guy. Now, next part of that is the running back who's right next to you in shotgun. He has to take a guy in protection if he's not running the route right away. He has to block someone if they rush. Well, when you make that guy, he knows who his guy is and you know, and the old line knows. And the tight end knows. Now, the next side is the tight end's running a route. Well, if his guy comes, someone's got to give you a hot route or something quick has to happen. 
All this is like one of the starts of it. And the, then the play clock has expired, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at this point. But no, no, no. The quarter has expired, yeah, Corey. Yeah. This is why understanding the game and learning it for young quarterbacks, they cannot. Unfathomable. It's, 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 it's almost like I said with golf. You cannot, you cannot do it enough. Whereas like with throwing, your arm will fall off if you did it for more than four hours a day. You couldn't do it for yeah. eight to nine. Mm-hmm. But golf, you can do it all day because there's so many different. With football, it's learning the game. And learning tendencies, human beings, situations. And then the better you get at that, the easier the game gets. And that's why you see veterans still playing at a high level the older they get sometimes. You have umpteen truckloads of football equity that you're using to predict these plays. One question we ask almost every guest is, what does the mission map look like for Tony Romo from this point? Play it five, 10 years forward. And I think what Corey wants to just pointedly ask you is at what point are you going to be coaching the Dallas Cowboys? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I get asked the coaching once in a while and I've, I've said, you know, I'll probably at some point do it just because there's a competitive side. I think that always creeps in there, but I've said that's probably pretty far off simply because that is like, if I did that, you're all in, you know what I mean? There's really nothing else you're going to be no doing more golf. you're really shutting down almost i mean the the hours you would need to work are you know it would have to provide you a lot of joy for that and it's really a selfish decision if i made that now because i got young boys and a wife and just i'm really enjoying where i'm at in life and you know getting to do things that i enjoy and uh i just feel like once the kids are older and they're out of the house kind of thing i mean then You'll have more time, but I just don't want to, I don't want to miss them growing up. I mean, at the core, that's, that's, you know, that would be, um, one of those live life backward moments where it's like, I I really wouldn't want to make that decision now if I was being smart. So specifically as it relates to golf, what's the mission map look like? Golf is just improvement. It's really nothing like as you've lived your life. Yeah. It's just, I have no idea and I'm completely fine without giving myself. Now there's still things I'm going to try and and do, but they're all still just in the realm of seeing how good you can be. Mm-hmm. And this guy that you want to be in three, four five years. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the, it doesn't start in three years. You know, you start that now and it's like, I can lose, I can lose, I can lose. And the goal is to, that's going to, you'll hopefully see this 30% jump and it happens. And then all of a sudden you're just now this guy, but you weren't before, but all of a sudden, and so it's similar to football in that regard, but you gotta, you gotta go attack it. You've lived a life in professional sport. If you had one thing to tell a youth athlete out there in any sport uh, to give them um, a word of wisdom, inspiration, you have anything in mind? Probably the same thing I tell my kids. I mean, really, it's just, it's really, we get defined sometimes by success and, you know, winning and losing, you know, you succeed or if it's not black and white, it's really just an internal battle of trying to become the person you want to be the player you want to be the person you want to be. And it's like, if you're not proud of that, take steps to change that, you know? And if you, and if you are, then keep going. And and what's funny is you'll, you'll actually get more deep rooted joy and happiness from becoming that than you will from ever winning. You know, those are fleeting. But the deep stuff that stays there is the stuff that you'll be most proud of. That's an amazingly great bookend to a conversation that we've thoroughly enjoyed. And I know our listeners will thoroughly enjoy. And in fact, 
probably play it through three, four, even five times to, yeah. to tease out all the knowledge nuggets that you've filled it with. So from the bottom of our hearts, we really appreciate your contribution today, but more, more importantly than that, your contribution over the feels like an eternity <laughs> yeah. that we've been cheering for you and knowing you. So thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you guys. And I can tell you, I don't know how much of the world knows, but these guys work 24 seven. So <laughs> it's impressive. You guys got 30, 45 minutes off here in the middle of the day. Appreciate so, it. Thanks, bud. Thank you guys. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge.